Break out your platform shoes and throw a goldfish in the heel, everyone. It's time for episode 43 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your DJ disco daddy, Mark Blankenship, and with me, as always, (laughs) is my white girl afro platform shoe spangle pants wearing co-host... The divine Sarah D. Bunting. Oh, she wishes. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, Mark. <laughs> Hello. Well, Sarah, today's episode was your brilliant idea, and I do mean brilliant. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what's up for today? It uh, sparkles like a disco ball, and uh, like a cocaine rush, it's probably going to go on for a while. And <laughs> maybe you think it's a little more interesting than it is. Just kidding. We're fascinating. Uh, here's what we're doing, folks. Much like our Madonna Immaculate Collection ranking episode from some weeks back, and if you haven't listened to that, I urge you to, because uh, we think you'll have as much fun listening to it as we did recording it, we are ranking all of the songs on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. At the end, we'll be keeping track of our rankings, and at the end, we'll declare a couple of losers and our three uh, winners just like in the dance contest in the movie. Oh, damn! What? We'll also be talking a little bit about the movie as we go along and um, the far-reaching cultural implications uh, therein. I, for one, am not qualified to get into some of the um, next-level cultural co-optation that I feel is going on all over this piece of art, but that's not going to stop me. <laughs> from talking about it before we get uh yeah before it's not we start... it's not mark and sarah don't talk about songs yeah <laughs> it's not mark and sarah know what they're talking about when they talk about songs no who wants to listen to that exactly um before we get started though someone who does know what she's talking about when it comes to talking has sponsored this episode mark can you tell us a little bit about that well sure i can let me ask you this question are you dictating your memoirs do you need an interview transcribed well from recorded statements to police body cam video shira at uptown transcription can transcribe it for you so for information and rates contact uptown transcription at uptown transcription at gmail.com that's uptown transcription at gmail.com and they did not have gmail in the 70s did they No, they didn't. They certainly did not. It's a wonder that they found ways of staying alive. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's get right into it. Uh, We don't have a clip for staying alive, which leads the the soundtrack, because uh, I don't think we need it. No. I'm not sure why. Just a little, you know, behind the scenes for the listeners. For episodes like this, we each call for a few clips and then if there's overlap which weirdly there never is there never is just, yeah but um neither of us called for this clip and i think that it's because the opening bars are of course absolutely iconic they've been used as a shorthand so many times in movies and tv and everything else to just take you back to the 70s to suggest dance floor proficiency um i am still legendary in my family for adapting this at age five when there were a lot of mosquitoes at this cabin on a lake in Maine and I complained that I was being eaten alive. Ah, yes. As you do. Um, That said, uh, you know, that's how the song is staying alive in our 
cultural hearts, I guess, um, because of that clarion call at the beginning. When you actually sit with the whole thing, I'm not sure it holds up, at least for me. The song is like, I'm going to say a third too long. Gets kind of squishy there in the middle and isn't really like progressing narratively, which maybe that's maybe that's unfair to expect of a disco track. Um, but yeah, like the first minute, you get everything that you need and then mm. you can just go to the next track. Uh, so that's my feeling on staying alive. Mark. Well, and any thoughts? Um, so before we go on, let me just also remind the listeners that because there are 17 tracks on this soundtrack, there is a potential for every song to get between one and 17 points. The song that we like the most gets 17. The song that we like the least gets one. We'll get to that at the end of this discussion, obviously, to find out how many points we gave to staying alive. Uh, so Sarah, yes. One of the things that you said, uh, was that the song evokes the era. And I have to say, I was saying to Andrew, my husband the other day, I don't think there is any song that personifies, personifies is the wrong word, that encapsulates the concept of disco more than staying alive. And when I said that to Andrew, he said, well, what about I Will Survive? And I thought, well, to me, I Will Survive is a song that has actually managed to transcend disco. It is a disco hit, but it's somehow bigger than that now because it has stayed so popular. But you right. ca- you cannot think of staying alive and not think of immediately doing that finger pointing dance where you're pointing down at one hip and then you're pointing up to the sky. You all know the one. You, and the white suit and the, the white yes shirt. like this song is disco it's a synecdoche of disco and there is Ooh, synecdoche hey synecdoche. wow what's a tough one to say still but, but you know i mean what when a part represents the whole this is oh, that absolutely and so for me one of the things that has made this project of preparing for this episode so exciting is that I didn't know this movie. I'd never seen this movie before until I watched it for this episode. And I didn't know, I have to say, maybe 70% of the songs on this soundtrack. Huh. And okay. it, it was has been delightful for me to learn all of this stuff because I had no relationship with what I would consider hardcore disco other than the fact that some songs are inescapable because you can't not hear them so yeah well has... and i also i had seen the movie a couple of times i did rewatch it the other day uh with my husband who's a bit older than i and had to suffer through these songs as his um like prom hits mm-hmm. whereas i was like mc hammer prom era um but these songs were like air when I was in kindergarten, first grade, mm. and Mark, you're younger than I. So I was saying to my husband while we were watching this movie that one of my favorite things about this podcast, um, and especially doing the album rankings, is that because you and I are a bit different in age, we're coming at things differently. Sometimes, like, we're coming at classics from a different, like, DNA structure, yes. I guess. Well, and because. Case. How old were you when this movie came out? Like not born. I was not born. <laughs> I was not. I was zero. Oh. I was zero seconds old when because this movie okay. came out in '77, and I was born in December of '78. Okay, so still an egg. Got it. Yeah, I mean, not even nothing. 
And, you know, mm-hmm. what's been interesting for me is there are some songs on here that I know by name only because I have a, a long, I have for a long time been a student of the pop charts. But there are songs that are considered classics here that I had never heard until we started preparing for this. So there are some songs on this soundtrack that for me right now have the rush of being new. And that's been really cool for me to find these 40-year-old songs that I'm like, oh, my God, this song is awesome. However, Sarah, and for such a New Yorky movie, I discovered a bunch of these bands are like hallmarks of the Philadelphia soul. Yeah, sound. seriously. I thought that, too. Like this movie is. Well, anyway, to get on before we get to all that, let me say, though, that I, there are some songs I've learned that I didn't know before. But Staying Alive is not one of those songs. And no. also for me, this song encapsulates some of the things that I do not like about disco music. <laughs> Primarily, I hate the sound of the Bee Gees falsetto singing. I hate it. Oh, dear. This this must have been rather a trial for you you the last week. It's complex. As we'll see as we carry on, it's complex. But I just find find it almost unlistenable. And this song relies on it so effing much. And I think that, like you said, I also get it within about 65 seconds. Like, I understand what's going on. Yeah. But then... I also, it's almost impossible for me to hear this song because even though I didn't know the movie, even though I didn't know a lot of these songs, this song was such a natural part of my life too. Like you said, like Air, that I don't know what I think of this song in a way. It's like like we've said about some other songs that we've talked about in the past. What do you think about dinner? What do you think yeah. about what your do you think about t-shirts? Colors. Yeah, like yeah. I don't have, those things just are. So if I'm, but if I'm really sitting with it, if I were to never, ever again hear the song "Staying Alive," that would be fine because I don't need to hear it again because it is burned into my brain. And yet, yeah. and, and but but with respect and deference to the fact that this song, in a way, is disco, I'm not ranking it with one point. I am giving it four points. Okay, so that is what ranking is that? That, uh, sure, that would make it, yes, hold on, 17, 16, yes, that would make it 14th on my list, four points, yes. four points. Um, I had the same problem with ranking it, it's one of those songs like, um, there's no business like show business, it's like, the, the actual song itself is pretty much entirely beside the point, um, so that would mean that it ranked fairly high, uh, for for me, just as a historical artifact. On the other hand, we're here to talk about songs. Right. And assess whether or not we enjoy them. And after that first 65 seconds, like you said, I'm all set. Um, I did have it <laughs> higher than you, but I did have it at number seven. That's 11 points for Staying Alive. All right. For Buncey. All right. But now, oh, so now I have. I, let's take a break for some chart facts, shall we? Oh, yes, please. Because one of the things that's true about the Staying Alive soundtrack is no matter what we think of the music, we have to respect it as a chart achievement. The soundtrack album itself was number one for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it spun off so many hit songs. There are several songs on here that had already been hits um, in in just a few years prior, but the first five of the first five songs on this album four of them reached number one and then there's a song uh so that's staying alive plus i'll just say the names of the songs it's not like we don't know what they are staying alive how deep is your love 
Night Fever, and If I Can't Have You all hit number one, and they were written just for this soundtrack. And then the song Disco Inferno, which closes the soundtrack, had been released as a single several years earlier, but wasn't a hit. But then they re-released it in conjunction with this movie, and it peaked at number 11. And this was also happening in a time when the songs that were number one, and I'm not exaggerating, were almost all written by the Gibbs, the Gibb brothers of the Bee Gees. So Staying Alive was at the top of the charts. Then it got replaced by If I Can't Have You. And then there all of the songs by Andy Gibb, their uh-huh. younger brother, were also number one at the same time. It was like week after week after week in the 77 and 78 where every damn song at number one basically was written by the Gibbs. So um, much Andy respect. Gibb was my sexual awakening. Okay, <laughs> so have a moment of silence in my pants. Yes, for the brilliant but troubled Andy Gibb. No one wore a satin baseball jacket with no shirt underneath. Better than my boy. Okay, now before we get to the next song, now that you've talked about sexual awakenings, I need us to take <laughs> another detour to my. It's like watching this movie, I was somehow simultaneously 38 and 13, because, as I'm sure you recall, there is a lengthy scene where John Travolta, who was very young at the time of this movie, is just standing there in some very skimpy underwear, and the camera uh-huh. the camera basically erotically pans up and down his body, and uh-huh. I was just like, oh my god, I have become so used to John Travolta in his whatever shame eating coke bloat phase that i had it had never realized that he used to be fine and oh yeah. my god and so the experience of watching this movie was so interesting because tony the character he plays is to me repugnant particularly because at the end of the movie he almost sexually assaults one woman and then lets his friends sexually assault another woman in the back of a car and then tells her that it's her fault and calls her the C word, and then watches fairly impassively, impassively as another one of his friends jumps to his death off a bridge, and then goes to the house of the woman that he just tried to assault and tries to be friends with her, and she says yes. And that all of that, I was like, this is repugnant to me, and I know that this movie in the 70s was embraced as this, like, in some ways, a life that some people emulated, although I understand also that from what I've read, other people saw it as the way that I saw it, which was a pitiless uh, anthropological sort of look at study of a culture that didn't deserve to be celebrated, but that was still bursting with life. And I think that's actually what I found really interesting about the movie. It's that to me, the world of this movie is gross and I, it, it, but it's so full of life and there's so many examples of the way that the characters in this movie have tried to do something with their lives that involves real human connection or spiritual connection, like Tony's brother who was a priest and then couldn't take it. But like again and again and again, there are all these roadblocks that keep them from being able to do anything constructive with their boundless youthful energy. So instead it just gets pushed either onto the dance floor where they can make something positive or it gets pushed into these horrible misogynistic racist, uh, extracurricular activities so all of that happens but then you've got tony played by john travolta who is basically making me pop a chub every 15 seconds oh and yeah it, and total lady chub also he was like totally one of my first crushes more like grease 
yeah oh yeah yes than saturday night fever but yeah i mean but in greece they were like they let me just say i have seen greece like a thousand times but in greece he don't ever just get down to his skivvies so i didn't understand girl i didn't understand but now i understand (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Mm, sweat hog sweat on me what yes great yeah hard to avoid understanding especially with that one camera angle that's like At knee level, shooting up past yes. his cock. Like, yes. okay, not sure I get it. Better, to, okay, now I get it. But what's so interesting <sighs> is that there's so much in this movie that is so aggressively heterosexual, but they also take the time to completely sexualize more than the female body, even the male body in this movie, which I found very interesting. Well, and they, I don't know, like, it's interesting. I, t- I mentioned before that, you know, well, maybe we should move on to another song. Yes. But I th- be- like there is a um there is a moment where they um just gay bash a couple dudes in their neighborhood um like those dudes wouldn't have split out of Bay Ridge Pronto and that put me in mind of um Son of Sam which I think I'm the only person who actually liked that Spike Lee joint mm-hmm. it does a lot of things wrong but I have a feeling his take on the on existing as a gay person in the outer boroughs in the 70s and a couple of scenes in particular were like direct notes on that scene and on the fact that disco was supposed to maybe be kind of a safe space for uh for queer identified people and particularly queer identified people of color yes in the late 70s and that this movie it's often hard to tell if this movie is acknowledging that these um, Bay Ridge, like working class Italian kids have turned that inside out. Or oh, that's really interesting. If it's just doing it, if it's like co-opting it or if it's saying like, we know that you've been co-opted. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, like it's hard for me to tell. And when, when his body is being sexualized, it's like the camera understands where his culture's roots are it from even if he doesn't and actually yeah years and ago this club where they shot it was a gay club oh really i did not know that yeah yeah i think that's a i think that's a relatively famous like footnote to the huh to the film that the actual location was a gay disco so well years ago when i was reviewing things for variety magazine i reviewed a book about the history of disco called turn the beat around and the one of the main um, theses of the book was that disco's nationwide popularity scrubbed the queerness and the uh, ethnicity out of this music and it became denuded. And I think that that is all sort of tying into what we're talking about. Um, I think that's probably a good time, a good way to now transition to song two, How Deep Is Your Love? And we do, because of me, I will say, have a clip of How Deep Is Your Love. So let's listen to that. When they all should let us be 
So, Sarah, I'd be I'd love to know your thoughts on this slow jam. Uh, my notes um, begin with I am immediately bored. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's just so moist. Um, and this was also one of the ones that was on the radio 24 goddamn 7 when I was a kid. And then after that was a staple of like soft rock, light FM, like the radio that you were allowed to listen to in the store where you worked at the mall because it basically wouldn't offend anyone because basically no one liked what was on it was like amy grant and this hey hey uh, you will oh, not oh. disrespect the hard in motion era of amy grant on this podcast and get away with it we'll talk about that another time carry on oh sorry <laughs> baby baby um, that's right hmm. every heartbeat but we'll get we'll get to that anyway carry no, on i actually don't mind that song anyway uh, this one is like i respect the fact that it sort of had a life beyond like there was a period where you didn't hear any of these hits because disco was dead and it was viewed as a novelty uh when it came back around in like the early to mid 90s it was definitely a sort of like haha could you believe we ever listened to this like well of course we did it's they're pretty good grooves this one was a little more lasting which is great for them nobody's ever going to step to the Bee Gees and be like you suck at song construction <laughs> they that's don't. true but this one is just a little it's just moist to me i don't i don't love it i don't hate it but i don't love it i i feel like you love it though tell me about that um you you're correct actually but let me just say quickly that the band take that had a number one hit in the uk with a remake of this song which i find rather interesting huh because Good As you them. might recall from an earlier episode, Robbie Williams of Take That had his first big hit in the UK as a solo artist by covering George Michael's Freedom 90. So right. we, just keep, we just keep talking about the covers of Take That and, and various members. Um, anyway, I did not know this song until this week, and I love this song i love it so much it's so well constructed like you said and i just live for the living in a world of fools it's very pretty i can't wait to get back to it every time it happens and there's just they chill out on the false in this which i appreciate and i did i will acknowledge that the lyrics to this song some of which i'm about to quote to you don't make any sense um i know your eyes in the morning sun i feel you touch me in the pouring rain and the moment that you wander far from me, I want to feel you in my arms again. And you come to me on a summer breeze. Keep me warm in your love, then you softly leave. And it's me you need to show how deep is your love. Well, it's not like it is doesn't she make a sense. Butterfly? That's a little it's confusing. Just, <laughs> it's just stupid. Like it's just a bunch of sort of hallmarky, uh, vaguely sexual, but also vaguely romantic sounds that have been put together. But here's the thing: I feel like if there's anything that disco teaches us, it's that you can love a song with terrible lyrics and a great melody and a great beat. I feel like the history of disco is in some way written by songs wh whose lyrics make no sense. It's all just like boogie wonderland. Oh, well, or... that's just fucking pop music too. Like the minute you have a wall of guitar where you can't hear anything. Exactly. You unpack the lyrics and you're like, what? Louis, so, Louis, Louis, yeah. what? Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> the, the lyrics to this song and, and Barry Gibb in general 
never really wrote a brilliant lyric in his life, I would say, but it doesn't matter to me because I love this song. Sarah, I ranked it number two, 16 points. Oh, wow. I had it number yes. 14, four points. Whoa! <laughs> and these are the things that make America a great country. Because we don't have to agree. Anyway, but... uh. <laughs> Well, keep... for now, we don't. <laughs> right, exactly. We'll see. Uh, to keep the hits rolling, of course, next on this album is the longest-running number one song that the Bee Gees ever had, and that is Night Fever. And we do not have a clip of that, but Sarah, I wonder, what are your thoughts on Night Fever, Fever Night, Night Fever? Fever. Uh, here's the thing. This is another one that, like, it's not good exactly. Like... <laughs> I can point to a number of things about this song that I don't like. Like, I don't like the mini bridges in it. They're, like, aurally a little bit unpleasant for me to listen to. Uh, the the tempo's a little, like, un- awkward. Like, I feel like it needs to be maybe a little faster or a little slower. Right. But it's a, it's a good chorus. I love the, like, waka waka waka... it's infectious you walk around singing it i mean uh, this is just one of those like disco hits that you're like is this good in the sense that we usually mean it not quite do i love it (laughs) like a cousin yes i do what did you think of it i think that what you just said is exactly right is it good in the way we usually mean good no but was there a time in fact more than one time this week when I found myself singing this song and then realized I was singing it, like it was just in my head and I didn't know, that uh-huh. is the evil. That is the evil, sinister genius of Barry I, Gibb. Because yeah. well, I don't know if you substituted lyrics for it. Oh, uh, in my house, sh- when I was warming up a soup that I'd made a few days prior, corn chowder, corn, corn chowder, chowder. We oh, know yes. how to heat it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I did not do that with this song, but we're getting to a song that I did, in fact, weirdly use as a song that I parodied around dinner time. So I guess we spend a lot of time singing in the kitchen, you and I. Um, so, yes, I, I do. don't. I cannot say that I love this song, but I also cannot say that I hate this song. It's sort of it, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to be mad at this song if it comes on. And therefore, I've put it at a respectable, I feel, seventh place. And giving it 11 points. Oh, okay. Um, I had a bit lower than you. Uh, 10th. But that still gets it 8 points. Um, all right. Well, what's next? Next is the only song that appears twice on this soundtrack. And weirdly enough, this version of it was never released as a single in America or anywhere. It's the Bee Gees version of More Than a Woman. We do not have a clip for this. Thank God. Um <laughs> They, this More is, than a woman! This is not... Well, we'll talk a little bit about more... Or I'll talk a little bit more about, um, I guess, the song itself. Like, when we get to the second iteration of it in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. This version of it, I just don't care for it. They sound very Muppety. Like, I don't think I'm as yes. uh, put off by their falsettos generally as you are. But they can be tough to take. And whoever is on lead here, I think it's... um. Robin sounds ragged like son you got to chug some honey before these takes he just doesn't sound good (laughs) 
The random shrieking at the end is not cute. I, like, ugh, no, no thanks. This one is usually a skip for me if I'm listening to the album. The only thing I can say about this song is that I remember very clearly being in a swimming pool at my friend Katie's house when I was in middle school, and this song came on the radio that we were listening to. And I just, that I've, I have nothing really to add about that, but I just remember listening to it in a swimming pool. Uh, to me, this song... <laughs> moved actually up higher in my rankings because of the second iteration because i do feel like Same. i can't complete i can't completely hate this song because it is we are we do get proof later that it there is possible it is possible for it to be good but i don't really care for this version either so it's firmly in the middle for me it's ranked ninth and that means it gets nine points uh i had it much further down only the works of David Shire on the soundtrack saved it for being even lower. <laughs> it is 13th for me, which means that it gets five points. All right. But now, Sarah, it's time for the song that comes after More Than a Woman, which is Yvonne Elliman singing <laughs> If I Can't Have You. My nemesis. Uh, let's listen to <laughs> yeah let's listen. i think we Before both we have that. a lot of feelings about this let's gather our thoughts and listen to start talking about this song let me say that you may remember that we discussed Yvonne Elliman singing I don't know how to love him at the very beginning <laughs> oh yes of we this. Did. and if you had told me a year ago that one of the first artists to be featured twice on this podcast would be Yvonne Elliman I would have laughed in your face yeah and yet here we are I think I might have actually Yvonne. quit the podcast before we even started it. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't <laughs> Oh, me too, because then it would be Mark and no one talking about songs, and I, I don't think I'd, that wouldn't be fun. I don't know. You'd, you'd make it work. You always do. Uh, do you want to begin with your thoughts? I feel like uh, I feel like we are of similar minds about this song, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I have to say that I'm not sure that we are, because I love this song without complaint and with full passion. Okay. Uh and this is a, this is one that I again I didn't know this song until this week, and I knew that this song had been a number one hit. I knew that Yvonne Elliman made it a number one hit. I didn't know it until this week, and now I think about this song basically nonstop. And this is the song that when I'm cooking, I'm like, if I can't have food, I guess I would be starving. If I can't have food, I'd be sad. Um. So. No, and I think we're closer. I, me... I think we're closer than you might expect. Oh, good. Um, okay, I, I good. This good. song, and I am surprised that that's the case. 
But this song is a strange case for me because sometimes it just sort of like bounces off the atmosphere of Planet Sarah that I'm like, oh, it's that song. Whatever. <laughs> Other times, uh, and this week was one of those times, and who knows why. I mean, I've probably heard this song 19,000 times in, over the course of a lifetime. I don't know if it's really my place to come at this song from here, but here we go anyway. There is something particularly plaintive to me. I mean, this is in the context of the movie. This is sort of like Annette's tragic theme that she right. wants to be with Tony and is willing to debase herself in increasingly like tragic, felonious ways to try yes. to stay close to him. But if you look at the context of the culture... There's something about this song that evokes for me like the mental image of Bette Midler at the baths and just this, the way that sometimes uh, we straight ladies and gay men have this like, I think, almost too big to even get out in like in a song lyric or in a in a melody line, just despair of ever being mm. seen and that I'm just imagining Yvonne Elliman like singing this at a Studio 54 party and surrounded by like men in booty shorts and just sort of feeling like where is my where is my heart where is my person um there is the and there's also a sadness in this song that the singer is trying to soldier through that I've find very touching and effective but like i said like some days i'm like oh yeah if i can't have you good tune but it was you know kind of a long it's been sort of a long couple of weeks for um americans of a certain stripe and i think that it definitely hit me like on the mm. sweet spot this time this like um feeling of being alone together with other heartbroken people on the on the dance floors of 70s New York. I don't know. I, I think it's a great song. I had it pretty high. Number three. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so that's 15 points. It is. Well, and I will say too, I don't think that it is uh, unimportant that this is the only song on this entire soundtrack that is sung by a woman. Yeah. And to me, one of the ways that disco comes back to its roots as being the music of liberation for frequently oppressed people is when it gives women the opportunity to sing loudly yes. about things that most people don't want to hear about because yes. that the the exalting of the feminine or with a disco star like Sylvester the exalting of the feminine masculine that speaks to women's experience i feel it speaks to the queer experience because obviously there's this was a time when drag was really starting to come into its own uh -huh. and there's just something really really awesome about women getting to stand up and just be heard and sure a man wrote this song but like the plaintiveness of it to you, that you're talking about connects with me too and i just feel like I love this song a little bit more because she's the only female voice in this entire soundtrack. And it makes me think about Annette. I felt so bad for Annette because this movie is about such an oppressively heterosexual, masculine, misogynistic, racist world. 
that a like a a a woman like Annette who just wants to be cared for is going to get eaten alive. Yeah. And she literally does get eaten alive. I mean, not literally, but she she gets her spirit eaten alive by the end of this movie. And well, even I feel Stephanie, like that, you're like, oh, she's gotten out, and then it becomes clear. That when she, he's she helping like, kisses her him at the end. Yeah, but yeah, but even like when he comes to, you know, the complicated relationship with the older guy, that it's like nobody, nobody gets to be a hero in this world. Nobody right. Gets to be. That's right. Nobody gets to win, really. So yeah, like the the men, the straight men are mangled spiritually as well. But you know, I I'm gonna go ahead and side with the ladies and the queens, mm-hmm. and I I just. I love the song for having that element, but I also love the song for just, ah, I mean, that section alone is enough to, to, to get it up to at least the top five for me. Cause it's so, so catchy. And again, the lyrics to this song, don't know why I'm surviving every lonely day. That doesn't really make sense. I don't know why I'm surviving every lonely day. I think what you mean is don't know how I'm surviving every yeah. lonely day, but okay, say what you, that's fine, girl. Your beat is good. It's fine. So Yvonne Elliman, man, to me, you've done it. And this is a song I'm really grateful to have discovered via your suggestion that we do this. It is my number one, 17 points. No kidding. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, and what a comeback. I love this song. What a comeback callback <laughs> to uh, her first appearance on, on this fine podcast. Yeah. <laughs> get it, girl. She's redeemed herself. She's redeemed herself. You, you here. did get out. You did get out alive. Way to go. So that's 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 my heart. That's my heart. Um, now next is a song that I chose a clip for. It is a song that was a number one hit a couple of years prior to the release of the film, but is prominently featured in Saturday Night Fever and is on the soundtrack. It's Walter Murphy and the Big Apple Band performing <laughs> a fifth a fifth of Beethoven. So let's listen to a sample of that. Oh, God, yes, let's. someone who believes that there are far too many instrumentals on this soundtrack uh but i'm going to tell you if i cut every instrumental but one this is the one i would save i love the cheekiness of taking beethoven's fifth symphony and adding a disco beat around it to me that's one of the greatest things about disco is when it has the disrespect for authority to do something like and this, you, and that's you see this. Uh, you see this another at another point in the soundtrack. You do coming later. Not as successful. Coming later, but, I, uh, but yeah. But and also like this. If you're gonna put, if you're gonna be so brazen and tacky as to put a dance beat on the Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, it needs to be this hot, actually. And uh, I I love this song. That's all. I I think it's. I love its wit. I love its sparkle. I love its beat. It is my number three. That means I'm giving it 15 points. Um. All right. Here's what. 
I've been obsessed with this song since it came out. Um, it is also my opinion that uh, the original opening movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, uh, usually seven and a half to eight minutes in length, is uh, the peak of human narrative. It is a flawless story that contains all other stories in the deist tradition. I am not a crackpot. We will talk about this at some point on this <laughs> podcast. I may have to take a couple master's level classes in music history so that I know how to talk about what I'm talking about. But if if you're going to come after classical, you can do so much worse than that piece of music, which is already, it already has everything you need, even kind of the hot beat. Like it, t- it tells you how to adapt it. Um, yes. I, I just adore this song. Like it took everything that I had not to get up. I'm like tethered to my computer by headphones right now. I was tempted to just get up and dance sideways, like in Bobby Gorin posture from Criminal Intent. It's so good. <laughs> I'm so glad that you pulled the clip. I am shocked that I managed to confine it to the short length that we did. This is a fantastic song and a classic. Number two, 16 points. Yes, yes. Um, and also, I think it's worth noting that there's a shitty Robin Thicke song that samples this. And I know that when I say Robin Thicke song to then say shitty is redundant, but still... <laughs> Even even Robin Thicke cannot destroy the power of a fifth of Beethoven. But uh, Sarah, I believe you have a clip for our next selection. I do. Our next uh, cut. Our next cut is the second version of More Than a Woman. Uh, we I thought that it was best to just do the one that I actually liked. And then we can talk a little bit about uh, both versions and why maybe this one works a little better uh, than the first one by the Bee Gees. Let's have a listen. thing the song still isn't great in the hands of Tavares the flute tootling is a little much but (laughs) two things about this I think that this version feels a little more genuine to me like a little more felt than the Bee Gees uh this guy's voice may deserve better than this song but there's something about the the register that he's in like it just works better I just believe it more and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel as cheesy the other thing is and i'm gonna do a poor job articulating this but a big part of the sort of continuing interest for me in both the movie and like new york movies generally at this time is like there is a certain quality of grimy light that this movie gets exactly right about what New York City was like in the late 70s. And this is one of the songs on this soundtrack that sounds like the city used to look. I have zero problem with the, whatever, Disneyfication of New York and people who complain about that weren't here when junkies were trying to bite me and my mom at the Port Authority. <laughs> like, it hasn't, it hasn't necessarily improved for everyone, obviously. I'm, I don't have a master's in urban planning and I'm not going to get into it. But there, there was, like, to be a little kid 
at that time and sort of think of New York as this place that obviously you would have to grow up and go there so that you could live your life and become who you were, which was both terrifying and like super exciting, especially when you're like five and everything is terrifying and exciting. Uh, this song captures that like New Yorkiness. I don't, I don't know. Mm. And other people might disagree, but I do, I do like it for that, that that sound brings me back to like being on the Erie Lackawanna train to go in the city, like with my dad and how exciting and scary that was. So that's what I think much better than the uh, Mm. first version though. Did you like this one more than the Oh, so much better because just hearing someone with a lower register sing it was just a relief. Yeah. (laughs) And like I needed to mix it up a little bit and not just have it be the Bee Gees squeaking at me. (laughs) And I was really grateful that yeah. this was this came around when it did and uh, i think that this is a this is certainly the superior version of a song that you know like you said it's still not great but i i'm not mad at tavares who also uh you might recall for his hit heaven must be missing an angel oh, which is also yeah. a lovely disco song so uh i put this song one two three four this is fifth place 13 points for wow me. um i had it directly in the center of my rankings number nine nine points all right. And next we get to, oh, okay. David Shire is uh-huh. the name of the, compo- he's, he composed the original compositions for this movie. And he also went on to become a composer for Broadway musicals like Baby, which was a minor hit, and Big, based on the movie with Tom Hanks, which was not a hit. But he is a composer of some success, some renown. But when he composes things like Manhattan Skyline, he is of no renown to me. I find the, the, the work in this instrumental track to be insipid. It's boring. I hate it. It's worse than a dentist. It's whatever, it's whatever waiting room you wait in before you go into the dentist's waiting room. But it's the dentist That's on where they the play love this. boat. Yeah, that's right. Because this is, is like the montage music dentist. that, like, if you put the Love Boat theme on a loop, just one long, generic, blatty. Yeah, I don't. Or another way to put it, this is the song that is played if you imagine a woman in some sort of gold lame dress having an a girl's night with herself where she just pours a big old glass of white wine and she's just like, like looking dreamily at the window and and like there's a cat I, I just some sort of like 70s attempt to be like sensual it's and there's shag carpeting everywhere but then if you know that if you drop a match to anything in the room the whole building goes down in flames and all we're left with are ashes and shame that's what this song sounds like to me that's why it is my 15th place song only three points um I don't think I even hated it as much as you did, but it's so fucking boring that I had it dead last. 17. One point. Oh. So that's a grand total of four points for Manhattan yeah, I don't, Skyline. Uh, I think Shire is going to be on the loser's podium maybe a couple times. Uh, Sorry, David. Well, it's nice then that we get a palate cleanser between all the shiring that's going on. I think we have another two Shire joints to get through <laughs> in our Saturday night fevered journey. But first, don't, don't, don't 
don't dignify them by calling them joints. That makes oh. it sound like they have any kind of spirit. Okay, well, uh, spoiler, I guess we agree on <laughs> David Shire. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm not sure, okay, anyway. not sure we're going to agree on Calypso Breakdown, but before we talk about it, let's hear a clip. Yes. tough time i called for the clip here mm-hmm. i had a really tough time picking where to pull the clip from and then getting it like under two minutes that like the build-up to it is so well done the beat just like gets in between your ears immediately it's got a little of everything it's a jazzy arrangement i actually like and this like conversation between guitar piano and uh horns that we just heard like i am pregnant i am pregnant with this song's <laughs> babies and i am well okay and you know what it. i am pro-life and you're not allowed you have to bring that baby to term is what i was going to say you're not allowed to get rid of it that's okay <laughs> that is okay ralph jr and i are going to be just fine i i don't have anything else to say i adore this song mark um, just a fun fact, uh, Ralph McDonald, who composed Calypso Broke Down, Breakdown, also was the composer of the song Just the Two of Us. I Just saw the two of that. Us. That was an earwig, too. Isn't that too. fun? Get it, Ralph. Well, what I will say is that Just the Two of Us is a song I love, but this isn't a song I love also. Oh, I too hate bad. this song. Oh, I feel like it, oh, no. I feel like that this is what they play after Kokomo at the Club Med Luau party, and it's the song that everyone is sort of vaguely shaking their hips to while they get some more all-you-can-eat shrimp piled up on their plates, and then they clomp through the sand back to the beach chair that they paid nineteen ninety-five to rent, and they just keep vaguely shaking it until they pass out in an overeaten stupor. Um, One I'm point. Not seeing a I gave it my last, <laughs> last place... Last place, one point. I hate it. Uh, first place, 17 points. You're kidding me! I fucked it. <gasps> what? <laughs> also, don't be stepping to the shrimp buffet. That's not cute at all. <laughs> I'll cut you. <clears throat> You're right. That's fair. Honestly, if there were a shrimp buffet in this, in the bedroom where I'm recording this, I would be snacking on it right now. <laughs> but I, that is... Wow. Wow. I mean, it's, I'm so glad we don't... I'm so glad we do not talk about these things in advance. Your number one is my number 17. I mean, I had no expectation that this would be anywhere in the top for you or anyone else. I think I have a special, in the sort of Olympic sense, relationship to Calypso Breakdown. I can't (laughs) deny that anything you said is untrue. I can absolutely see, like... Whatever, Sandals Fort Lauderdale, all the sunburned people <laughs> shuffling through the line and kind of bobbing their heads like uh, those dudes from Welcome to the Roxy. I get it. You're totally right. I don't care. Well, okay. and here's the thing, so, Sarah. I, I, have... will, I promise to love 
your baby that you had with this song, even though I do not love the baby's father. Little Cal, little Cal B. Exactly. Well, I think we're probably going to be a little more closely aligned on uh, the next song, which is Night on Disco Mountain. Yes. This is the other classical take that we were talking about. Um, I'm familiar with the original Mussorgsky, and like most Mussorgsky, it is on the melodramatic side. (laughs) I think this track is well suited to where it is in the movie, but it's one of those tracks on the album that when you take it out of the movie, it's a little bit unpleasant to listen to, and I had to make an effort to get to the end of it. Um, I just don't, it's just inessential. I don't care. Mark? Um, so f- fun fact, well, not fun fact, but just for those who don't know, fact. the original Mussorgsky competition, uh, composition was called Night on Bald Mountain. So it, Mussorgsky did not put the word disco in his original composition. I think we should just clarify for the record. He would have, though. Um, no, he, he would have. have. He was so absolutely no I, fun at all. I really, like I said, enjoy the cheek of making disco music out of classical music. And perhaps shockingly, Sarah, I, I kind of dig this, and I put it sixth. I gave it 12 points. Oh, my God. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> you're witnessing the beginning of the end of a relationship. <laughs> I'm totally <laughs> no, kidding. No, we're stronger than that. I, I hope so, because I had this second to last. 16, two Ooh. points. Un- wow. Bearable. And yet we find so many things to love about each other. So that's what matters. It's true. It's true. Uh, will we find things to love about our next joint, Open Sesame? I oh, know. a top 10 hit. A top 10 R&B hit in 1976 for Cool and the Gang. This song, like many Cool and the Gang songs from the period, including Jungle Boogie, is basically a collection of horn sounds and beats and then the occasional person screaming nonsense words like <laughs> Shazam and Groove with the Genie. And for Everybody me, get it down. Is the, <laughs> it is when someone when when the guy screams Groove with the Genie, I, I laughed the first time I heard it, so that bumped this one up for me. But it is still not an essential track for me. It is I put it eleventh and gave it seven points. Oh, Mark, samesies. Oh my god, we have an we have an exact same ranking for once? Um this song should be better than it is. That's my frustration with Open Sesame. The opening progression mm. and the horns are hot. I love the just like everybody get down. Shazam, like nobody knows what the hell's going on. Well, I'm glad we could come back together in the middle, literally, on Open Sesame. Let's see what we thought of Jive Talking. The brothers give her back. Uh, we didn't pull a clip for this song, and actually, I feel like you used to hear this song more often. Uh, I wouldn't consider it one of the signal tracks from the album. Um, it's not capital I important to the album, but it also feels to me like one of those, um, last minute looks songs that ends up working better than the more produced stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I kind I sort of like this song. I I feel like it would be a good fodder for like hip hop samples. I don't know if that's something that's happened mm. for this song, but I had it pretty high up at uh, number eight, ten points. Well, Sarah, we have a another 
<gasps> ranking that is exactly the same because I also have it at number eight, ten points. Delightful. And uh, this song actually was the comeback hit for the Bee Gees in 1975, two years before this movie was released. They huh. This was the song that transitioned them into disco because they had been doing, like you said, your parents were fans of older Bee Gees, and my dad was too. He always talked about how he preferred their older stuff. They were more of a rock pop John Denverish band, really, but then uh-huh. then they came back with Jive Talking, and they were in fully in the disco lane. And for me, I don't know if you know the band uh, Scissor Sisters. Yes. This is a Scissor Sisters song. I don't know why they haven't covered it. It sounds exactly like a Scissor Sisters song to me. I, I, huh. If if you were to if they were to tell me that they had not been influenced by this song, I would scoff at them fill up a cup with the reddest Kool-Aid I could find and toss it on their whitest shirts so it would stain them with their lies because it is ex- <laughs> so truly a Scissor Sister song. And for me, I had an interesting journey with this song. Oh, which, by the way, does not appear in the movie because the scene it was in got cut. I huh, I thought I, I thought I hated this song the first time I heard it because I thought that the vocals were mixed too low and it drove me crazy. But what I found is that for days afterward, like two or three days afterwards, I would just be at work going, Jive talking, and I thought, you know what? If the song got into my brain that deeply, much respect. And that's why I ranked it where I did. Yeah. I uh, I don't think we're going to agree on the next one. Also, Bee Gees. Uh, I think you should be dancing for this is the song. <laughs> is... Uh, scores Travolta's big solo scene his solo dance scene mm-hmm. and so that's another one that can sort of run together with the other dance scene tracks in the memory but before we talk about where we ranked it let's listen to a clip get to that i will say that if you're not dancing you should be transcribing uh so if you're dictating your mem- <laughs> if, so you, right. if you are dictating your memoirs or you need an interview transcribed well from recorded statements to police body cam video shira at uptown transcription can transcribe it for you for information and rates contact uptown transcription at uptown transcription at gmail.com that's uptown transcription at gmail.com sarah um, I think I should be dancing instead of transcribing. I ranked this one pretty high. I think this is going to be, um, Blankenship Kryptonite because of the falsettos. I could be wrong. Um, and this song should not work on me. The falsettos aren't particularly, um, mellifluous in this track. There is a little shrillness at times and there are certain little like, yeah, in the background where it's like, Barry, t- like he's feeling himself to this like laughable degree. <laughs> but I did laugh at it. And that echo sync on the chorus is fire. I, I like the song a lot. What can I say? I have this at number hmm. five, 13 points. Well, I have this at number 16. <laughs> well, at least I was uh, you right. said, but I'm sorry, that was uh, 13, uh, 13 points for that song for you. 
Yes. Yeah, that's I correct. have this at number sixteen. That falsetto. I I just. I I I know. Oh God, I just, I just can't. Yeah. And I, there's something about the this song. <laughs> I think because so it is so successful in doing what it does with that disco sound. It got copied so much that I feel like now I've heard the song a billion times, even though I haven't, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It is... No, I totally know. The component parts of it do sound like it was like built in a lab, kind of, which it probably yeah, was. Yeah, a, so. a groovy, yeah. groovy lab. Um, yeah, but I get it. Now, speaking of songs that I haven't heard a hundred times, was another song that I discovered while we were doing this project, and that is... Uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band's Boogie Shoes. And let's hear a clip from that. Yes, let's. wonderful that you never heard this song before i love this song but i'm just like a world in which i hadn't owned this song in some medium since i was like 15 is so foreign to me it's so <laughs> great that you like arrived at it unless you hated it well no Did but you hate it? no i didn't but here's the thing i then saw that it's used in movies like mall rats and boogie nights and was used on the short-lived tv show that i nevertheless saw every episode of flash forward so clearly uh-huh. i have heard this song before but this is the first time that it clicked, that I really heard, heard it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you something. This song is dumb as a box of hair. It's just uh-huh. some sounds. But, oh, my God, that beat. I mean, booty pop, pop, booty pop, pop, my, 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 my boogie shoes. Yes, I want to put me some boogie shoes on layaway, girl. I'm going to give you some of my checks. Uh, I put this song in fourth <laughs> place, 14 points. I love it. Um, this is, I dropped this a little bit in the rankings because this isn't even my favorite Casey and the Sunshine Band joint, but, um, and it is the go-to, as you said, that's another one that's like this very sunshiny version of the disco era that is used as a shorthand for present day movies and TV, I think. Um, Like a lot of Casey and the Sunshine Band songs, it's a little bit, um, I think they would have called this uh, sweet in the swing band era, which was code for like PG and not too quote unquote black. Uh, uh Uh-huh. But it is goddamn irresistible, this song with those horns. Agreed. Yeah. The booty, even a booty that is being used for sitting is somehow popping at the same time. And <laughs> not for nothing, it's so nice and short, this song. It's Less like than three two minutes. minutes and change. It's not all coked up and all over the place with call and response for eight minutes. It's like, that is a blessing on this soundtrack. Sometimes you're just like, he gets in, he gets out. He sings about boogie shoes. Now he's done doing that next thing well and you know also at this time so many disco songs were being created mostly with a mind toward being played in a club where the coked out dancers just want to keep dancing so they would make these really long wordless sections that were just beat upon beat upon beat being repeated so that a dj could throw it on go do his three bumps and then Mm -hmm. finally switch the track but this song it ain't worried about all that like you said and I, i appreciate it for that yeah, no, me too. Number six, 
12 points. Nice. Okay. Next, we have the gloriously named Salsation, which, if I'm not mistaking, Sarah, is the song that the Latin couple dances to when Tony feels that they've outdanced him in the yes. dance-off. Yes. I believe that's correct. Well, we don't have a clip of it. And again, I do think there are too many instrumentals on this soundtrack. But this one, I don't hate it. I think that it really helps that it has a Latin rhythm. It does help it stand out. And uh, for me, I put this pretty much squarely in the middle. Eighth, ninth, tenth place with eight points. Uh, this is the best of the Shire Troika for me. Um, that's saying literally nothing. <laughs> I just don't care. Uh, this is another one that needs the visuals to for it to be compelling. Otherwise, it just sounds like stock music. Yes. I would put this over a montage of someone learning to salsa in the movie Salsation, The Return. <laughs> um, but I'm probably not going to go watch Salsation, The Return. It's not bad, but I don't care. Number 15, three points. Fair. All right, next we have, a, like you mentioned at the top of the episode, a lot of these songs have roots in Philadelphia, including a song called KG, but that's K hyphen J E E. And it was originally performed by a group called the Nightlighters, uh, which was uh, written by Harvey Fuqua, who was a big deal at the time, and his son Antoine became a film director. Sure. But in this version, it was covered by the studio group MFSB, which stood for Mother, Father, Sister, Brother. And they had well, a. Well. Unless it stood for motherfucking sons of bitches, which is what it actually stood for. Oh, really? Because oh. they're from Philadelphia, motherfucker. <laughs> well, that's the yes, way that they it did was... have. Oh, I they didn't did have know. the clean version. Yeah, yeah. The way it was. I just sold... learned that yesterday. Yeah. Good, good yeah. intel, Sarah. Because the way it was sold to the public was that the more polite version. But that's such a uh -huh. yes. That makes so much more sense. I've always wondered why they called it that because there were no rel. That makes so much sense. Anyway. They had a number one hit in the 70s, this studio group called TSOP, or The Sound of Philadelphia. But this song um, was just on this soundtrack. And interestingly, the, my favorite thing about, about it that I learned is that it was the theme for several newscasts around the country, including newscasts in Montgomery, Baltimore, and Minneapolis-St. Paul. And it really does sound huh. like the opening track of a local news broadcast once you hear it, once you realize that. That's so crazy. You know, um, I'm just going to drop this piece of trivia in there, in here. It's not really related, but the old ABC, WABC news used to be a, um, it was an interstitial soundtrack break from Cool Hand Luke. Huh. And when I watched Cool Hand Luke for the first time with my family, like they're, um, they're working on the road, like putting the hay on the road in that movie and there the song comes on and my mother and I both sat bolt upright and we're like, Holy shit, where's Bill Butel? Because it was the it was the Channel Seven music. Anyway. Amazing. They really use the damnedest shit for these local broadcasts. Seriously. That's really strange. Um I I think I liked researching this song a little more than I liked listening to it. Mm -hmm. Um it's it's not one that I tend to remember is even on the album. The guitar break in the middle is too long, and then the organ at the end is amazing, but then it comes in in, like, the last 30 seconds, and it's like, oh. But on the other hand, I don't hate the song, and this is another one that reminds me 
like that it sounds like how New York City used to look like that it should come with a um, like chopper shot of the Twin Towers at night. Um, so kind of in the middle, number 12, six points. And I put this at number 13 with five points. There you go. Totally in the middle. And that brings us to our final cut, uh, Disco oh Inferno. Boy. And we're just going to play the entire 11 minutes. Just kidding. We're not going to do that, but we are going to listen to a clip. Then we're going to talk about it. Then we're going to have some rankings for you. Yes. Here's a clip of the tram. The heat bumps clip but i wanted to cut a long enough a long enough piece to show how much jimmy ellis who is the lead singer of the tramps can do with his voice mm. uh this song is of course like it's called disco inferno um it is another one that if you had to list like five songs that would be in like a whatever the scary movie equivalent of like that 70s movie this one, this one would be in it. Um, it's immediately recognizable. Uh, recutting it so that it has lines from Law and Order, like Lenny Briscoe's lines before the before the credits, and calling it Briscoe Inferno has been on my to do list for like ten years. Oh yes, um, Briscoe Inferno, it will happen. Um, now night that on I've announced it. Night on Briscoe. Night on, night on Briscoe, Briscoe Mountain would be good too. Oh God, it would. I could do both. Uh, the, I mean, it's eleven minutes long. As we said before, like if if you haven't like blown a rail, the full eleven minutes is really not tenable. There's like this call and response stuff that's literally just the PJ can pee. <laughs> but oh my God, Jimmy Ellis's voice is so so hot. Like it's a great break anyway. But like he. Just a little, like, get it, that he th- he throws in there, that it's just, like, he's really feeling it. He And then there's all this kind of coded language, like the word flaming and the fact that it's burning down. And there's this, like, apocalyptic um, coded gay club fire slash, I don't even know, annunciation party happening. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this one was a tough one because it's way too long. But, like the radio edit no problem you just chop out the middle eight minutes and then you're good what do you think i'm pretty much right there with you i feel like in a way the length of that clip that you played is probably the length of time i need to spend with this song at a given moment (laughs) but i I do like it well enough i don't really have strong feelings about it i've always known burn baby burn it's like you said it's like you said it's one of the songs that would be played if a child were to ever come in to a historian's room and say, 
please teach me about disco. They'd probably play this song as part of it. So yeah, uh, no I put that in a in a in an apathetic twelfth. Like that, it's, uh, <laughs> I get, and so which is six points. Okay, uh, I flipped that and reversed it. I had it in a um, respectful sixth, twelve points. You put your thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Mm-hmm. So why don't we um, take a break? Which through the magic of editing, actually, no, we don't have to take a break. I can, I can do this right now. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. All right, Sarah. Do you want to start with our top favorites or our least favorites? Well, I think that we're gen- we generally try to be positive. Yes, that's so true. Let's, let's start with our least favorites and then see where we're at with our with our shared favorites, which who knows. <laughs> we have a tie for our penultimate least favorite. So next to last, um, with 11 points, we have a tie between Salsation and KG. Okay. But then and that's Gee. with and that's with 11 points. So actually I think it shows the spread that we had on this soundtrack that a song that is next to last would have that many points. But then uh-huh. way down there in the basement in the <laughs> sub basement is Manhattan Skyline with uh-huh. with a mere 4 points. Okay. Oh wow. So all right, David Shire avoided um a uh, avoided running the table at the bottom there. That's good, I guess. Yes, but again, because him. because of the spread being what it was, just as the second to last song had a fairly high score, our third place song in terms of the songs we like the most, I think has a relatively low score. Um, at in third place, bronze medal with twenty six points, is Boogie Shoes. Huh? Isn't that that's not what I expected? I wouldn't have predicted that when I uh, started. No, this me project. neither. But then, me neither. At twenty-six points, but then it's in second place with a much higher silver medal. Thirty-one points goes to a fifth of Beethoven. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then there you go with thirty-two points, just squeaking out that gold medal. A few months ago, she was the underdog, but now she's our gold medal gal. It's Yvonne Elliman, and if I can't have believe you, believe it. Yes, that is. I thought that she would make the podium. Probably, but, and it's the damnedest thing. It's like I said about that song. If I had been listening to it and prepping this podcast on a week, on one of those weeks when I'm like, yeah, that's cool. She might have just been in the middle. Right. Who was, who was fourth, just out of curiosity? Uh, let's see. So who was under 26 points? Because the Bee Gees are nowhere right now. Right. And you, so actually, oh, weird. Fourth with 22 points. So not really a high score is more than a woman. But no, the Tavares The Tavares version. Okay. Wow. So then fifth place. Okay, you do finally get the Bee Gees in fifth place. It's a two-way tie with 20 points between Jive Talking and How Deep Is Your Love. Huh. And the only reason that How wow. Deep Is Your Love is at 20 points is because I gave it so many points. But really, I think the true median there is Jive Talking, which we both gave 10 points. Uh-huh. But isn't that crazy that on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, you have to go that far down to actually get to a BG song for us? Yeah. Interesting. And, then, and what was your, and your number one was? My number one was you. If I Can't Have You, and my number two was How Deep Is Your Love. Okay. Huh. But, and one of the things that also uh, definitely 
kept the rankings interesting is that my number one, or that your number one was my number 17. <laughs> you only gave four points to How Deep Is Your Love. So, you know, it was it was a up and down wild time. Yeah. it uh, And that's that's disco in a nutshell, kind of. Well, up and down wild time with tight pants and uh, goldfish in your platforms. Throw some food in there or they'll die while you're dancing. <laughs> Corn chowder, corn chowder (laughs) We know how to heat it Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Today's theme song was written by David Gregory Byrne, and you can dig more of his chili at davidgregoryburn.com. If you'd like to place an ad, request a song, or arrange for Mark, me, to read your pop chart horoscope, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at talksongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. And if you like the podcast, let us know. Leave us a positive review on iTunes or the podcast download interface of your choosing. And please download the music you hear legally. Yes. So until next time, this is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this. And this. Is Mark and is Sarah. Mark and Sarah. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.